Is it true that you said Hitler didn't kill enough Jews during the war? <laughs> Why do you ask me about Hitler? The Hitler's problem is now past tense. Now we are looking forward for the future generations and a future plan. We are no longer going back to Hitler's. You see, the war of Hitler, it was a different war than the war today. Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a podcast but evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week we are talking about Idi Amin Dada, our first tyrant. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize his name contained its own theme song. <laughs> yes, Idi Amin Dada Menomena is the full name. <laughs> Menomena. Idi Amin Menomena. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to cover here with, uh, with Idi Amin. Uh, really interesting, even among um, dictators, which... You know, in in theory, it seems like dictators are all kind of the same uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and Idi Amin certainly does use the Hitler playbook uh, mm-hmm. a lot. But you know, a very odd, interesting person, to say the least. And we'll, we'll get into it. Before we get into uh, the details of Mr. Uh, Amin's life, just a quick reminder that uh, if you like the podcast, uh, please do drop us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts if you can. That helps us with our visibility. And, of course, uh, to tell a friend. Yeah, and if you're listening to this and you haven't left a review, you're stealing. <laughs> you're stealing our free thing that we put on the <laughs> internet for funsies. How dare exactly. you? Yeah, so a worse crime there is not. Uh, right. The interesting thing about, you know, doing media, I mean, is as Doug and I are well-meaning uh, cisgendered white guys. We're the least threatening <laughs> white guys you'll ever encounter. And... In doing this podcast, we've endeavored to try to plant the flag in different places with the villains that we pick. Uh, a lot of times they are white guys, but sometimes they're giant eyeballs or, uh, you know, or green women. Those <laughs> seem to be the categories that we've hit. Uh, you know, when looking for people of color as villains, you, you can do it, but, you know, I, they are underrepresented in fiction. And when you do pick someone, it's hardly something to celebrate because they're a bad guy. But, you know, we were looking around and we wanted to pick somebody interesting and we hadn't really done anybody who wasn't essentially white or magical mm-hmm. <laughs> of a non, you know, known race. So we came up with Edie Amin and it is hardly a love letter because, again, he's a horrible despot. But this is what we're doing in an attempt to, <laughs> to be inclusive, to spread it around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I do think there is something to that in that. It's a, it is a reminder to look at Edie, I mean, and go like, you know, we, we think of certain types of evils as like kind of confined to their moment in history, like a place or time. Like, oh, yeah, you know, racial injustice in the United States versus, you know, Nazi Germany. Like there's sort of these like pockets of it when it erupts. And then you see someone like Idi Amin in Uganda and it's like, oh, this is like some weird defect in the human race that this pops up in different places. Like regardless of race, color or creed, evil sort of surfaces in this way every once in a while. Sort of the same way, like if we were to go back to the serial killer well and say, like, hey, we, you know, we've done Jack the Ripper. Who else could we do? Like, you're going to find serial killers in all parts of the world. You well, know? it's a good point. I mean, I think you do yourself a disservice when you say, like, oh, it's only um, old European white men or something that are capable of this very specific type of, uh, of evil. You know, it's, it's, I think it is, a, as you said, a defect kind of in the human spirit. And when people have power, the wrong people have power, they tend to do a lot of the same stuff. So if you see parallels in this story to other figures, you know, that's not a surprise. No, it, not at all, unfortunately. And, you know, the the podcast is meant to be kind of fun and entertaining, and especially when we're covering Cobra Commander or, you know, a cartoon <laughs> villain or, you know, a, a fairy tale character. And when we dip into these real world figures, it is a stark reminder that evil's interesting to talk about. That is in no way an endorsement. And we should probably get into it with Idi Amin and what he's about, because as you sure. already mentioned, Boy, there's going to be some parallels, not just between him and other dictators, but kind of all kinds of ways in which uh, people can be evil. This guy really is a, a, an extraordinary monster among monsters, but we'll get into it. So as, as always, uh, we start the podcast off with uh, Dan. What do you know about Idi Amin? 
Uh, he looked a lot like Forrest Whitaker. No. <laughs> uh, I did see. Uh, I did see the Last King of Scotland. I think I saw it on a plane. Yeah, I saw it a long time I ago. Don't remember once. much. Yeah, it, I remember I it saw being it a long time a, ago, yeah. and I. Yeah, and that's the movie where Forrest Whitaker plays Edie. I mean, did he get an Oscar for that? He, he got did. a nomination? Yeah, no, he, he won. He got an Oscar. He he won. Okay, he won for that portrayal. Um, Deservedly so, so you, by the way. It, it's excellent. Okay, if this uh, podcast happens to whet your appetite for, if you get Edie fever <laughs> out of this, go ahead and pick up the last, go down to your local blockbuster video and rent <laughs> The Last King of Scotland. Uh, so I don't remember much. I really you know, this is going to be quick. I He was a Ugandan despot, and that's all I know. It's very, very quick. So you, you're going to educate me along with everybody else, I think. Okay. Uh, and and I, gonna, I'll, yeah. I don't know how quippy I'll be because, as you pointed out, you know, it's not Cobra Commander. These are war criminals are the least fun amongst all the villains we could do. Well, <laughs> and, and because uh, they're... I think it's because their reach is so far. You know, like, Jack the Ripper kills, like, five, maybe 11 people. Idi Amin, according to Amnesty International, killed up to half a million of his wow. own people. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, and that's the other thing. You know, we could do Hitler. We're saving him for episode 100. No. Um, <laughs> we're a centennial! Yeah. No, but I want to pick people on this podcast that are either really fun or that you have maybe a, a slight awareness of, but you don't know that much about so that at least it's interesting and you can get it here versus, you know, you can get a lot of that information other places, but I don't know. I, I don't know a lot of great resources for ED. I mean, so Doug has done yeah. the research and he's going to educate us. I'll do my best. Um, you know, obviously I am not a, a scholar of African history, especially not, you know, to the level of d- detail. I mean, this was, this is a hard final to cram for, mm-hmm. um, but I want to hit the big, points just to sort of illustrate who this guy was and Forrest Whitaker had a real challenge on his hands with playing Edie I mean because there there are a lot of sides to his personality and I even through all the research I never got a firm grasp on what made this guy tick and he's kind of slippery in that regard but anyway we should start at the beginning um so he's born Somewhere between 19... That is the beginning. That's it. He's born somewhere between 1923 and 1928. There's conflicting accounts uh, in Uganda, which at the time was controlled by the British. And uh, he apparently grows up without his father being around much. That's sort of talked about. I saw one source that described his mother as being a quote-unquote witch doctor. And I don't know, you know, I don't know enough about Africa and religions there and, you know, these particular tribes to know what it really means. Like, there's a kind of a Western, like, stereotype of what a witch doctor is. I don't know that that's what this actually was. No, but, it's actually two separate degrees. Yes, you got to get it. It's really impressive. You got to go to witch school and, then you <laughs> and get, medical school. You're right. <laughs> you get your, your doctorate in, in uh, witchology. Yeah. So he grows up in this environment, apparently without much of an education. They mentioned him having like a fourth grade level of English. He did go to at some point some sort of but wait Muslim religious that's, school. That's fourth grade level of English uh, as a second language, right? I believe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but still, a lot of Americans don't have a fourth grade grasp of English and no other languages, so. right? Uh, he did go to some kind of a um, a Muslim religious school, so he was educated, it, it brought up in that tradition. But there's a lot of accounts of him. Being you know, d- descriptions that would suggest that he's sort of dumb, like people. I mean, people were blunt about using words like that to describe him, and I think that that's a little bit simplistic. Like the, you know, like he had a football coach that said, like, oh yeah, you had to give him instructions in like one syllable words. You know, he was re- very blunt. well. You know, there. Uh... <laughs> I mean, how, <laughs> let's just start the timer. When do we start? Yeah, <laughs> no. Did, well, we'll no. <laughs> um, hold, hold. But I just want to say, there are different types of intelligence, too. And certainly dictators do seem, and, and sociopaths do seem to have this awareness and this kind of special ability to manipulate people. And I don't know that that's a class. You can be intelligent and do that, but I don't think you have to be classically, academically intelligent to have that ability. Yeah, and I think you anticipated where I was going, which is he he is described as dumb by some people like this, right? Like, he, oh, he's just not that smart, he's not that well-educated. But by the same token, there are accounts of him being pretty good at memorizing things. And, and obviously, he didn't just rise through the ranks to become the leader solely by brute force. 
there is some manipulation there and some kind of intelligence right. going on. It might be that his intelligence was not very well trained or, or honed, but there's something going on there. But there's but by the same token, there's also some kind of a defect there and an insecurity about that. And, right. And being an so that's we can put that on the whiteboard of like signs you may be a despot, insecure. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on the whiteboard. That's the most dangerous one, I think, too, because that's the one that's going like it, insecurity kind of leads to paranoia, which certainly Idi Amin had, and that paranoia drives you to lash out in various ways to one demonstrate how powerful you are. To, exactly. to push that exactly. insecurity down. If you down. have confidence, you don't need to externalize it to the extent that these guys do. Uh, so, yeah, insecurity, definitely a big red flag. Right. So there's that. In uh, the early, f- I'm sorry, 1946, uh, so just after the end of World War II, he signs up with the British colonial army and becomes a soldier. And he's recruited because I think at the time he was working in a hotel or something as a clerk and like a a British army officer came in and saw him. And Idi Amin was an extremely physically imposing specimen. He's six foot four and, you know, just built like really strong to the extent that from 1951, I think to 1959, he was the light heavyweight boxing champion of Uganda. And he was also described as being a very good swimmer and a very good rugby player. So just like physically, just a an imposing, threatening guy. That makes him sort of unique, I feel like, amongst dictators. Yeah, like you look at like Hitler for Mussolini, Pol Pot. Like none of these guys look like they could, you know, beat you in a fist fight. No, um, no. A lot of times it seems like one of the many things they're compensating for is a, some physical limitations. So it's interesting that this guy was actually fairly built. No, if anything, he's compensating for, you know, like I said, these perceived intellectual deficits. Sure. Right? Um, and but- then you get the guys who are the double threats, <laughs> who have neither the yeah. physical prowess or the mental prowess. Anyway, draw your own conclusions. Moving on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who could that be? Um, I don't know. I'm thinking of I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, he, he's this physically threatening guy, and that is why he's you know, put into this military position, he starts to rise through the ranks as far as you can as, you know, an African soldier within the British army. Um, Okay. So this is, there's already, there's racism within the, I'm saying this like a child, like this is racism in the colonial British army. Yeah. But there, uh, there is obviously. What? The colonial British? (laughs) (laughs) Not those guys. Not the guys that Gandhi <laughs> protested against. What are you talking about? Right, right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm stopping myself. So I don't. I'm trying to just further the conversation. But obviously, you can only go so far as an African in the army, in the British army. Right. And the British leave. Uh, they they hand control of Uganda back over to the uh, the Ugandans in 1962. But before we even get to that, we should talk about the fact that Uganda is kind of a constructed country by the British. It's, you know, it comprises multiple sub areas and different ethnicities and tribes. And the, the British sort of drew a line and said, this area is Uganda. And so and they did that with a bunch of different countries. That's my understanding. Yeah. And so you inherit in doing that, you inherently create a problem because you are now as opposed to say the United States where all of the states got together and said, let's form a union. It was more like, congratulations. You are now joined at the hip in this country. Go. Yeah. I'd be like if we in California, all of a sudden had to associate with Arizonans. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) 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 horrible. Exactly. Um, There'd be a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, Arizonans, Arizonians, whatever it is. I don't know. Arizoners. (laughs) Yeah. Bunch of zoners. (laughs) Um, rubbing elbows with no zoners so anyway he's he's at by the time the british leave he is one of only two african soldiers to achieve like the rank that he has i forget what that rank is called but so he is as high up as you could have possibly gone in that Mm -hmm. system and he did it uh, super british most british yeah (laughs) it was pinky all the way up as he drank his tea (laughs) yes um but he did that by being brutal 
but effective. And it's one of those things where you go like, I, you know, are there rules in war? We kind of have a defined sense of what a war crime is now. I don't know that in the 1950s they would have looked at it quite the same way. Hmm. Um, but you know, well, they were certainly banning things like chemical weapons and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and I don't know that Idi Amin used that. His was more blunt of like, you know, literally like let's round up everybody and chop off their dicks until they surrender. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> not kidding, by the way. I don't remember if that happened. No, in the not surrendering. All right. Chop, chop, chop. How about now? No? Okay. <laughs> it worked. A lot less expensive than an like, atom Surrender. Bomb. Surrender. No, literally, I mean, literally. Wait, is that you know, was that just a, uh, a hypothetical or did that actually? No, happen? that actually happened. Oh, my God. You're right. Oh. So, he chopped off dicks. <laughs> He's chopped off dicks. Oh, man. You know, I feel like in the dictator club, that's a red line. Like, <laughs> He's not even the dictator yet. He's, still, he's not even here. Well, that's true. He's not that's even true. in charge yet. He's making yeah. a case for himself. He's rising through the ranks by doing right, this. Right. That's and, just like chopping up dicks. I just go like, wow, you really have to have a, a really perverse mind to even conceive of some of these things. Yeah. But, on, but interestingly, by that same token, he's also working to suppress that so that like he does it. It is horrifying and, of course, effective at subduing his enemy. But then the reports back home are like, oh, no, he didn't do anything that, you know, no, they surrendered, you know, normal military conflict, no dick chopping. Um, <laughs> fake news. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. No dick chopping. Yeah, no, uh, Keep it up. Uh, Her Majesty would be most upset <laughs> by news of this phallus chopping. Um, and, and what is this present you've sent back from the front? <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of flute, is it? Um, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so, um, no. So he does this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, he's that's how he's rising through the ranks. And you know, it's not like he stops doing. Maybe that particular tactic doesn't appear again. But yeah, um, blunt force, brutal stuff. It's like you know, you could spend about a lot of money and develop an atom bomb to scare the shit out of your enemies. But why? The old methods, you know. <laughs> so who is he fighting at that point? I believe Sudanese insurgents. I forget. There's a lot of like little conflicts and skirmishes going on and I, okay. I i'll profess my ignorance i couldn't manage to keep this one all straight um, sort of the same problem you get in the middle east with these artificial boundaries right where you start grouping people together who hate each other yeah so he he rises to the and race. also hate the fact that you're in charge that you've come and you've taken over their land yeah all right and to, and to the point where his his next big move is he helps depose a local king who was arguably maybe the next person to be in charge. I, I forget how this all went down. Um, if, if, he's, if he was in charge of all of Uganda or just a part of it, but they depose this guy and run him out. And that paves the way for a guy named Milton Obote to become the president of Uganda. No, this and, is another one. Milton! Uh, Milton. So Milton is... Um, <laughs> it's not funny, Dan. He would take people's dicks and turn them inside out. Well, he was... <laughs> make them wear them as a hat. Uh, I, he obviously wasn't as brutal as Amin, but Amin is his like second in command uh, at this point. At this uh, point, he's risen throughout the 60s. Amin, under Abote, has risen all the way up to being basically the commander of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know, equivalent, like he runs the army. He, all the armed forces mm -hmm. are now under Idi Amin. And in Uganda. And is British... The British are gone. Still under, they're gone at this point? I'm saying that, yeah, the British are gone in 62. Obote is now in charge after How this did that go down? Is that not super relevant to the story? It's not. I mean, they basically left peacefully. Um, okay. the, you know, the British were in the process, I guess, of sort of retreating into back into the UK and handing control over. They, they didn't want to be in the colony business anymore. Right. This is sort of the collapse or the receding of the British Empire. Here. Right. So the, the transition is peaceful, for, at least from the British side. They, they leave without a, a problem, without a fight anyway. So Abote is in charge. He seems to be possibly corrupt in his own way, but not necessarily, you know, not a violent dictator by any stretch. And there starts to be a friction starts to build between him and Amin where they start accusing each other of corruption. Amin is suspected of misappropriating a lot of money. And so in January 1971, Abote is on a trip to Singapore for some sort of governmental summit or something he's off on business to singapore mm -hmm. and while he's out of the country amin stages a relatively bloodless coup and basically says i'm in charge now and abote is on a plane back to uganda changes course 
Wait, wait. A bote is on a plane? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a bote. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it? Am I Am I making fun of these names? I feel like is wrong. And it's just, I'm just showing my. I think this one was kind of so cute, though. So you're all right. <laughs> it's a cute so little So was the Muppet Menomina thing. All right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm That's, trying to find it where I can. And, and me saying that yeah, thing I, sounds I, like this thing is about as close as I get to being harmless. I mean, this is dark. You know, this is getting dark. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so okay. So, Abote's out of the country. He's on a plane and- He can't he, come he, home. I mean, <laughs> he can't come home. He's is in exile. And, and he, where, he re- where he remains. Um, okay. At some point before this, there was some sort of attempt on Abote's life, probably engineered by Amin. It was unsuccessful, obviously. So, so this uh, is what okay. he did. He said, hey, they're on to me for misappropriation of funds. He had already, Abote right. had busted him down a rank from being in charge of the yeah. army. Yeah, because he was like, Edie, what's this line item here for for dick cleavers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We need them. It's $20,000 for dick cleavers. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he he says, I'm in charge, and the military is taken over, and of course, only until such time as we can guarantee free and proper elections. And demo- you know, oh, sure. I'm just... I'm just going to hold on to this country for safekeeping. Voter fraud is real, you guys. Right. And Um, I'm very worried about it. He's the most anti-corruption. Right. And you can already tell where that's, you know, how long that lasts. This this, this line of (laughs) life. And it turns out that we are never able to do that. And then he declares himself president for life. You know, it's not. Yay. and, And this is where the. So kind of in 1972 is where the dictator. Dictators 101 kicks in and it's you know like we're we're doing we're doing we're playing all the hits we, you know we're okay. declaring ourselves dictator for life um we're putting military do you think courts. he's he's he actively looking at like hitler's playbook i uh, couldn't find that as you I, said I, or is yeah. it just like i i, I was hoping okay. I, I mean yeah, it'd be a hard thing to, it'd be a hard thing to prove you wonder sometimes you know it's like do these guys actually go like no this i mean first of all it never seems to work out in the end but they it's sort of like al capone and organized crime like guys it doesn't work out in the end but uh, that's my question, you know, with this stuff. Like, do they go, oh, you know what? They got it almost right. They just needed to, like, slightly tweak it. And then it totally would have worked out. And, you you know, everything is, you get what you want and nothing bad happens to you. Or do they just happen to fall into, just naturally, as you said, kind of a defect. We just fall into the same patterns. Here we are again. Ethnic cleansing. Declaring yourself president for life. I don't know. I, I couldn't find anywhere where it said that, you know, oh, you know, Amin was a student of, uh, you, you know, he kept Mein Kampf and he, by his bedside and he read it. You know, right. I, I couldn't find that. So uh, okay. my my hypothesis is uh, no, although he had to have been, so, I mean, he lived through World War II. He didn't participate in it, but he, he was he must have had sure. some awareness of it. Um, You're saying this is like parallel thinking. I think it's, yeah, kind of like, what do they call it? Um convergent evolution where like you know two different organisms evolve eyeballs at the same you know separately Mm. because it's you know just useful to have maybe he just arrives at the same conclusion the same way uh as the others do sure because there's not a sense of the kind of like organization that say that the nazis had right you know the 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 kind of like structure this is a little more simplistic sure uh, and again why would you pattern yourself after people that were ultimately eradicated right the losers why would you say like let's do it just like that yeah well what's interesting is right and we, you talk about hitler and you say well what brought hitler down and ultimately it was that he antagonized the countries around him until they eventually defeated him i mean well he eventually does do that but for he only at the bitter end so he lasts longer in the dictator position than say hitler did right you know once world war ii got underway it, it was a, basically the clock was ticking on his uh, on the third and you Reich. could see, you know, in the run up to World War II, there were a lot of countries that were like, this is a German problem or this is a Europe problem, you mm-hmm. know, like let them just deal with it on their own. Right. And uh, you could see how that could keep you in power. Right. Uh, but uh, the second you bring in that out, you know, you bother somebody else, they're going to say, well, you're our problem now. And we're not putting up with this shit. And so we can save that for the end. But that is ultimately what brings Idi Amin down is he does make the same mistake just later. He, you know, he doesn't he's mostly concerned with internal issues. So he starts, you know, as we said, you know, uh, there's ethnic cleansing. There's you know, killing of political dissidents and intellectuals. There is placing them. Uh, what ethnicity is he declaring the enemy? Different tribes within the country. 
again, these subgroups. So, you know, you talked at the top about like, oh, well, it's, you know, we're talking about he's African, they're African, you know, they might look similar physically or they have the same skin color. And it's like, well, that doesn't matter because it's the fucking sneetches, you know, like eventually it's like, well, this guy's got a star on his belly and this one doesn't. So they got to go. Well, right. Is it Rwanda that had the Hutu and the Tutsi? Yes. Uh, I, my understanding of that tribal conflict was a completely manufactured European invention, basically who I don't, I don't know the history of Rwanda, but whoever was, we're on thin ice. Whoever was in, you know, I'm just declaring it. But whoever was in charge basically said, "Like, hey, you guys, you're this and you're that." And it was like it was like a light skin, dark skin thing. But it was a completely like from the outside manufactured designation. Well, and then that grew into this conflict. But anyway, yeah. It, so it, as you were saying, people are always going to find a reason. Yeah, and it wasn't as, like I don't think it was quite like the Nazis, where Hitler kind of had the fix in for the Jews from the beginning, saying like, "We got to wipe these guys out." And then he developed pretexts. There are some political things going on here where, like, certain tribes are, like, allied with Amin. Others are, like, allied with his political opponents and things. And so Hitler kind of tried to do that shit after the fact and kind of go, like, well, the Jews are all socialists. And that's why they got to go because they're, you know, they'll side with the Soviets. And, you know, we have to get rid of that. It was a pretense. And here there's a little more like, you know, they, they really are Amin's political enemies. Not that that justifies genocide by any extent. But it's just a slightly different species of genocide, if that makes any sense. Um, but he's doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of he's, going the other way. It's saying, you're, you're a threat to me politically, so I'm going to declare wipe you, you all out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a group that needs to be wiped out versus I'm designating this group to fire up a racist base and then also laying a, a layer of like, oh, but it's important that we do this for political yeah. security. But he did come out with a, a policy that – so here's where things start to kind of get – interesting and scary so he's doing all of this stuff he's you know starting to wipe out like i said intellectuals judges playwrights you know the people smart enough to oppose him he's doing another by the way let's just put that on the whiteboard too right it's this anti-intellectualism yeah absolutely always always a hallmark whenever you're never gonna see a dictator that doesn't have that element yeah Again, he's doing all the, the greatest hits of dictatorship. I remember uh, reading somewhere that like Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, like they rounded up people who wore glasses. Because they're smarter? They look smart? Yeah, no, really. I mean, like, like that's what I'm saying. Like that that level of, of anti-intellectualism. Wow. So, so he starts this policy where, this is going to sound familiar, he wants to create a form of economic protectionism for... Ugandans who so what he does is he starts basically cutting out Asians out of the economy and and trying to like push them into exile and get rid of them and by Asians I mean most this is mostly uh Indians like from kind of the subcontinent not so much like say China and and the far farther to the east but he's cutting out all these Asians not so dissimilar from some tariffs we might have had recently. Muga, mm, yeah. Uh, so he, <laughs> make Uganda great again, Muga. So, but the fallout from this is, you know, while he's trying to say, well, we want Ugandans patronizing Ugandan businesses and Uganda first, almost you know, word for word, it fucks up the supply chain royally because. Uganda relies on their tr- or was relying on their trade for like basic goods. So they all of a sudden there were shortages of things like salt, you know, stuff they couldn't get. And of course, Idi Amin is the kind of guy who can't admit that he's wrong. So this starts to cause even more dissent, which means he needs to put down more dissenters and increase Vicious, uh, circle there. there. Yeah. The lack of having a plan. That's another thing that seems very. <laughs> Well, and also Very, it's the uh, it's relevant the, uh, to today, and it's the you know the great leader can never be wrong. So we're going to have to bend reality to make it sound like whatever he did was right, and make sure everybody else shuts the fuck up, either by killing them or you know with brute force to force them into silence. Mm-hmm. But you can't. You also can't hide the fact that this is like you know people are starting to have food shortages, and you know the, there's only so much grumbling you can suppress. So that's kind of this vicious feedback loop that starts going on under all of these other things that are happening. Meanwhile, Amin kind of presents this very jovial facade to the world. Like he goes, you know, he'll take a he takes a trip to Britain where he still has contacts from his colonial days, and he visits with the Queen. He kind of drops in semi unannounced. 
to visit with Queen Elizabeth. That's not done. And he's like, she meets with him. She has lunch with him. He's like joking with her. She says like, oh, what, what do I owe the pleasure of this visit? And he says, oh, I can't get size 14 shoes back in Uganda because you know, I'm so big. Ha 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 ha. You know, he's, he, he wants to think <laughs> of himself as this very funny guy. And like, when you watch footage of him from this era, the, the image is like, Oh, I'm super charming. I, you know, I'm, we're struggling here, but we're doing good work and we're trying to help people here in Africa. It's all the party line. And he's very happy to portray this like smiling, bubblicious kind of, you know, bubble, happy, happy, bubble, happy lucky guy. Like, you know, he's got this very, you know, that's his public persona is, you know, ex- like I said, extremely jovial. And it's terrifying. I just think that Bubblicious really regrets that tie-in. Yeah. Getting that endorsement for media, I mean. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, he's this, on the surface, very charming guy. And so we get to 1976 and a very famous event called the Raid on Entebbe. You may have come across that phrase or nope you're staring at me like blankly so <laughs> so no sorry i was looking at pictures of Edie. i mean and queen elizabeth if i said i could find it because i just wanted to <laughs> see that no i am not familiar with that doug and that will surprise no one <laughs> uh, there was a movie called i think raid on antebi actually made about it that's pretty good I, I saw it a long long time ago so Edie, i mean when he first started but you know, right right at the beginning in 1971 had a good relationship with israel which is not surprising because the British had a good relationship with Israel. And the thought on the Israelis' part was that Amin would potentially be an ally with them against Soviet aggression, uh, you know, sort of balancing the world power. Unsurprisingly, uh, not too long into his reign, they figured out that he was a brutal dictator. And wouldn't you know it, a nation full of Holocaust survivors were not too keen to <laughs> to work with Idi Amin. Mm. So they pulled their support and stopped selling him weapons and things that they were doing. And this enraged Amin. And he, you know, basically said, I'm immediately flipped the switch from, you know, I'm Israel's ally to I'm Israel's enemy. And remains yeah, no more Idi a nice. Right. That's <laughs> yeah, another cute one. I like it. Yeah, I do. These little cute ones. Um, All right. So, for example, in 1972, when the Israeli Olympic athletes were taken hostage, as dramatized in the film Munich, he wrote some letter about, you know, how awful the Jews were and how they had this coming and, you know, this to be expected and, you know, some, something. <laughs> what you'd call these days a hot take. Yeah, hot anti-Semitic take. Four years later, 1976, and the the Palestinian Liberation Organization hijacks a plane going from Israel to, I believe, France. And they force it to land. They, they're trying to force it to land. And Idi Amin is all too happy to let them land at Entebbe, which is uh, an airport in Uganda. And the plane's there and they take... So they've got this plane full of hostages. The Israeli army, who is not to be fucked with, <laughs> um, sent 200 soldiers to Entebbe. And in the span of an hour... They liberate, I mean, there's a firefight, so they liberate almost all of the hostages. I believe three of them are killed in the fracas. One is somehow captured by the Ugandans, but a fair number of Ugandan soldiers are killed in this. But otherwise, the Israelis take the rest of them and get the hell out of there and get them home to safety. The one survivor who the Ugandans took is murdered on Idi Amin's orders. He then orders the murder of a whole bunch of Ugandans, you know, does the Cobra Commander thing, but has them all murdered, you know, for their ineptitude at you know and defeat wow. at the hand of these. What is the what is the strategy here with this? Like letting this plane land. What, how does this uh, help him? I don't know. Other than just he's got a bone to pick with the Israelis, um, huh. and you know wanted to thumb his nose at them. I don't wow. know what the broader. I don't. I can't it's imagine pretty, what the broader. Pretty big self inflicted wound there. It is. And I mean, it's it's not a, well, it is and it isn't. Like, it's it's embarrassing for him, uh, which is bad in terms of his, you know, again, this presence is this great military commander. He's lucky in that it doesn't escalate into World War Three or something. You know, it doesn't set off a back and forth. I think the Israelis are like, look, we kicked your ass. We got our hostages back. Now stay the fuck in Uganda and leave us alone. But that, you know, again, pretty pivotal event towards the end of his reign. And I think it's around this time. I don't know if it's around this time. 
but you start to hear more stories about like the weird side of him, right? Like he starts giving himself these weird honorifics that he's like, not just like president for life, but he's like Idi Amin, president for life, king of all the animals on the land and the fish in the sea. Like no shit gives himself that title. This like something the, to look for. Like the last. Keep king, an eye out for that, folks. So like the last king of Scotland. <laughs> That movie takes its title from the fact that he also somehow proclaimed that, like, yes, he is descended from Scottish royalty, which is like, no fucking way are you descended from Scottish royalty, mm-hmm. Edie, I mean. But he so starts, there's a mental illness happening here? I think so. Like, it's, and I don't know how long. Or sort of a growing, yeah, yeah problem. It, yeah, and I, it's, I can't tell if it's the paranoia getting to him about, you know, people coming after him, if it's, if it had always been there. In some form or another, but, you know, how much of this is bullshit? How much is he drinking his own Kool-Aid? I don't know. This is where you start getting the stories about, you know, cannibalism, you know, where he he claimed he ate people. He definitely kept some severed heads around in in a room in his house, along with, like, photos of, like, political dissidents who had been killed with a sledgehammer at his orders. Like, he kept that shit in a room in his house for his amusement. You know, like, really, like, twisted, sick behavior and eventually you know again with the unrest the need to you know try and keep things propped up as all dictators do when they're in a corner he starts a war and he picks a fight with next door tanzania ultimately tanzania- the villainous tanzanians right uh those devils those tanzanian devils so morning. yeah so the tanzanians respond by just kicking his ass out of power and he huh. fi- and in 1979 he is you know run out of the country he briefly takes exile in libya before heading over to saudi arabia where he basically spends the rest of his life holed up until he dies of kidney failure in 2003 and that's the end of idiami there you go that's the the broad well strokes done. of him what a fucking scary dude uh there's really no other well the for it. the bet- between the dick slicing and the sledgehammer photo room <laughs> yeah definitely But it's, you know, it's interesting. The thing that jumps out at me when you tell me this story, I wonder how many people are walking around capable of this kind of thing, but for the opportunity. Or is it something about these types of people that they find their way into power? You know, they just have this sort of weird, as we were sort of talking about before, this weird ability, this kind of like life hack where they're able to manipulate and lie and not have any doubt or shame about it. So they just end up in charge. Um, that's certainly a theory that's been put out, you know, that a lot of like business leaders and stuff are actually sociopaths. Like I think, uh, Ron Johnson uh, has a book about that. Yeah. I, there's you know, no psychopath there's, test. Yeah. There's no doubt that Idi Amin is a, a sociopath. I think, um, it's clear that his, you know, some of our villains are you know, different places in terms of ends justify the means, but he's absolutely in, not only do the ends justify the means, he could I'm even, sorry. I believe you mean the ends justify the, I mean, I mean, no, that's so much fun. Um, we're, we're, we're gonna pun the shit out of this if we can. Um, I don't think he cares about them. You know, like he doesn't. He seems like the kind of guy who obviously doesn't see human beings as human beings. If he's if if he enjoys the severed heads, you know, no. he, you know, um, no. it's just he's in power and he's spinning plates as fast as he can to stay in power. With obviously, you know, this is not a guy who has a good sense of world politics cause or even cause and effect right like he the things start to spiral out of control internally because he comes up with this dumb shit economic policy that like yeah and again i I find that interesting that like it's the opposite of like a a wonk or whatever you know someone who's like i got elizabeth warren i got a plan for everything or whatever you know you get these guys that talk a big game they got a plan for nothing and i don't know why they're so averse to coming up with one maybe it's because it's just harder to govern than it is to scapegoat and I think that's kind of, you know, this is a guy who comes up as a, an, by all accounts, an, a very effective soldier. He was apparently, you know, again, he's physically imposing. He was apparently a very good shot. He accomplished his missions. He did all the things that you would expect a soldier to be able to do, which is why he fairly quickly rose way up through the ranks. But being really good at being a soldier, it does not necessarily translate to being a good leader of a nation. No, knowing how to militarily succeed is obviously a, an important skill in being a world leader, but it's by far the only one you need. And there's no way this guy has an understanding of economics. Uh, you know, he just doesn't have that education. And it shows because he's trying to do all these things that seem crowd pleasing in the short term 
without any regard for how they'll be how they'll play out in the long term. I mean, he completely fucked like uh, Ugandan. Uh, their their main export was uh, coffee, and somehow he totally fucked that up to where like you know there was they weren't making money out of coffee anymore because he had somehow I forget if he caused the their their currency to go out of whack or something. But like mm. you know between that and the. The, the protectionism yeah, it's like the authoritarian game is a big ponzi scheme you know what i mean it's like it's you have these short-term sugar rushes that you can create in certain ways but it catches it always catches up with you in the end right eventually the bill comes due yeah because you can't outrun reality you just can't i mean you can you can hold it at bay for a while you can try to keep the people you right know, uh, you know in the dark about what you can really distract going people you can say hey the enemy's over here right but you at can some have point, these economic policies that seem good at first, but they're not sustainable. Right. But at some point, you're when the people can't put food on the table and the next country over is attacking you, you can't hide from it. <laughs> There's, you know, you got to have Maybe a solution. Maybe you've uh, completely bungled some kind of response to a global health crisis. I don't know. Right. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, maybe that is the, for- the fortunate thing. Sort of the same thing with like Al Capone, which is like... Evil is ultimately self-defeating. Or even though we talked about with like Sauron. Like there's you know I mean it's comforting except for the fact that it comes at great cost and the people who bear that yeah. cost are the people. It only means that there's it that some all things must pass, right? There's gonna be an end to it. That but you're is right. That's not com- that's no comfort to the ha- literally like a half a million Ugandan people he slaughtered brutally. Easily you know, always remarked upon in the in the things I was looking at is like one of the most brutal dictators. You know, and that's not a good club to be in. Like you, maybe you're not going to beat Hitler, but okay, you're worse than Pol Pot, you know. <laughs> so he would just routinely care. Did he have like a secret police force? Oh yeah, yeah. his own private he's, kind of. He's got goon squad. He, he yeah, he takes out the original or the existing uh, Ugandan intelligence agency and replaces it with a different one, and he gives it some Orwellian name, you know, the Security Bureau yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I forget. I did. I remember reading something about like where Amin's troops kind of came from and why they were loyal to him. I know he. He obviously, you know, had a fair amount of people that were fiercely loyal to him to help him carry out this shit. Um, but I forget exactly what he did to. But I mean, part of it was, you know, he was revered for his his own military success. I mean, you know, you it's hard to become a leader without something to point to to say, you know, I've I've succeeded in life and get people uh, to follow. Well, me. you know, if I may, there's always an allure to saying that your problem is over here and it's mm. these people. There are definitely a significant percentage of the population that's always going to be receptive to that message, no matter what. And that is another failing, I think, of the human heart. But we ask ourselves, well, what makes a guy like Idi Amin exist? But then what makes all the people that follow him function? You know, how do they fall for it? And I think that's it. There's just, there's a lot of people that are really receptive to that idea. A lot of angry, frustrated, fearful people, because that is sort of the human condition without doing any work on yourself. That's where we are you know, angry and fearful and frustrated. And they will happily take the message that if I just go ahead and kill anybody who who disagrees with me, eventually I'll get rid of all the people who disagree with me and things will be fine. Right. I I think that's, there's an expediency to that, you know, of scapegoating, of seeing a guy who is somehow immensely popular and saying, well, it may cost me my soul, but I want on that train. Right. I want to, you know. Well, that's the opportunism, of course, which is the other side of it. Yeah. You know, people uh, that know better, but they say, like, no, this is, this is the way it's going. Right. Yeah. The people that just go with where the wind goes. And I think we talked about that in the Sauron episode, you know, (laughs) with regard to guys like Saruman. Yeah. Although Saruman is a little bit of a different case. Saruman, you know, knows better and just says, well, I can't defeat this. I have to. As opposed to people who say, I want to, Mm. you know. And so Sauron is sort of, I mean, Saruman's kind of corrupted through his fear of Sauron, as opposed to, you know, I I can't think of another character immediately from Lord of the Rings who's in this, but, you know, Sauron's got plenty of lieutenants, you know, orcish lieutenants and stuff. Or we've, we've had these villains where they have their obsequious henchmen that are, you know, all too happy to to decide with, uh, with evil. In exchange well, for that's game. another thing. You know, that's another interesting aspect of this. People sometimes just need permission. Right. There are certain people out there that just need permission to be evil, which is baffling to good guys like you and me, Doug. I mm-hmm. think that's what this podcast is all about. We're trying to understand it. Um, did you and your research come across how the courts functioned in Uganda? I'm sort of curious. <laughs> the only thing I noticed was that he he installed military courts above 
the civilian courts that were like superior to them in some way, and then obviously use those to have kind of kangaroo, whether we call it kangaroo court, you know, yeah. where it's, you know it's all just a show to put down some political dissidents. So, but I don't know, you know, what would the day to day like you know property dispute look like between two Ugandan citizens? I have no idea what that. Would be. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm asking. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's another hallmark of a crumbling democracy is when the courts suddenly become just a just an apparatchik. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the judge calls up somebody to find out Who's how to they're supposed to rule. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, pro- uh, if, but so if look you're- for that too, because I think there's a record number of appointments happening right now. Yep, we've obviously danced around it, but I mean, you know, one of the things that bothers me, people will say, "Oh, well, Trump's a dictator," and they'll go, "No, no, no, he's not a dictator because he's not like Idi Amin." And you're like, "Okay, fair enough. He hasn't ordered the deaths of half a million people uh, of dissidents, but." You know, just because somebody else set the bar really fucking low doesn't mean you're not a despot to a lesser degree. It doesn't mean, and he certainly doesn't mean he doesn't aspire to do harm. Well, I also think that I don't, this is the thing is if you're, you talk to a Trump supporter, you're already, you know, crossing realities when Mm -hmm. you're like your, your set of facts are already different, Mm -hmm. but I don't think anybody who's really honest would deny that given the opportunity and given the severity of a situation that Trump wouldn't do that. I mean, we're right now, you and I recording this podcast just a couple of days after he said, he announced his intention to turn the military on American citizens, which is, I just imagine a president doing that. I mean, prior to this, it's, it's impossible. So to say that Trump wouldn't aspire to that degree of power, I disagree. I strongly disagree with that. He is up against the world's oldest democracy with a lot of barriers between him and doing that. It is not impossible. It can be done, and especially under the strain of a pandemic and civil unrest and all this other stuff. I mean, that is when it weakens to the point where someone can get away with shit like that. The happy ending here is not a foregone conclusion. So, you know, Uganda, you're talking about a country that was under foreign rule. It was weakened already. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've got a we've got a little more well, a, you know, a little more is, momentum, well, the, but yeah. but it's not impossible. It's hardly impossible. Well, you look at other dictatorships, right? They, a lot of them arise because the country has been softened up, as it were. Like, exactly. I mean, look right, at Germany. Right. Germany was you don't get Hitler without the combination of the aftermath of World War One and the Great Depression. You know that right. that produces an environment where people are ready for someone like Hitler to come along. And, yeah, and that's the interesting yeah. thing. You know, we have Trump. Even, you know, we have some economic disparity. We have some domestic problems in that regard, but we certainly don't have anything like the devastation after the Great Depression. And now, you know, we're kind of getting it. We're getting all that right. stuff after the fact. Yeah. I, I mean, the one thing that helps us is I think the, the constitutional guardrails that are in place. Someone once described the, the Trump administration as a stress test for those. And it's it's creaking a little bit, but it's still holding. And hopefully we don't see society slip away more than it even has in the last you know crazy week. But I do think it's worth making the comparison, even if it's a you know obviously a, a more drastic degree between someone like Trump and Idi Amin. Well, Idi Amin's story the is completed. It's, it's over. His story well, is done. He got to do the full course. Right. We're in the middle of this story. Right. But It'd he, be like I mean, if you jumped back into the early days. It'd be easy to say, oh, well, you know, he chopped off a few dicks, but mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not going to well, we, we know, com- declare we war co- on we Tanzania. Yeah. We comfort ourselves by saying it can't happen here, right? But the reality right. is it can happen here. The only thing stopping it from happening here, as in anywhere else, is the groundswell of decency that defines most people living here. You know, that... that you need a place where evil can be unchecked. And here, evil is still mostly checked. Well, that's why these protests are so important. I mean, that we have the ability to protest. That people can say, this is wrong, we the governed don't want this. We don't consent to this. We don't consent to this. I mean, that in its very core is the most American thing there is. I mean, it's not, I know, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's unique to America, but it was an idea that we were founded upon. We were founded upon protest. Right. So that's arguably the most American thing you can do. Violent protest. <laughs> uh, you know, 
Well, yeah. And, 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 you know, here's the thing about that, of course. You know, you look more closely and you see that there's agitators. as there, There's always opportunists within that. Whenever there's chaos, by the way, EDM, let's bring it back to EDM for a second, and say that there's always opportunists in chaos. I mean, that's where you find warlords and things like that, when there isn't a structure, where there isn't law and order being meted out, right? They get to so, build that structure in their own image. Right. So it is in chaos that these people are able to assume power. And on a smaller level, as we've seen in these protests, there are agents that will use that chaos for their own ends. Anybody who basically wants to see destruction in the United States has shown up to cause problems. The good news is, as we're recording this now on um, June June 3rd. 3rd, A lot of that's been made known, and these protests have sort of come down to a more peaceful place because the people that are actually behind them have sort of rooted that out. But from the right-wing white supremacists who show up, you know, the fucking boogaloo buttfucks, Mm. sorry, (laughs) who show up in their Hawaiian shirts to wreak havoc because it's all a game to them, to the – there is some – I'm sure some anarchist left-wing radicals that maybe show up and certainly enough criminals, you know, people that just want to like snatch some property. Uh, Anyone can use that chaos to their own ends, but that's not what these protests are about at their core. And I know this because I can listen to the people speak. You can, there's no shortage of it online. You can see what they're, what they're about. And, and that is, I'm sorry, this is a long winded way to say, these are the things that actually protect us and people's ability to speak and fucking cell phone cameras. (laughs) believe it or not you know when the party line comes out oh they didn't use tear gas on those protesters like no they fucking did yeah they fucking did we've got footage of it we've got people who were there that will tell you you know what a strange Um, time right to be able to film every single act of aggression it's amazing you right and that's it's interesting to see how this will play out because unlike the 1970s Edi Amin could do all this shit with impunity because no one was filming him you know, he could always make up a lie, and half the most of the people who witnessed it were either dead or uh, subservient to him. Well, arguably, so, this is the big uh, weakness, I guess, in a dictator trying to come to power now or trying to consolidate power now, which is, of course, why you see people like that trying to control the media. And you see them sowing disinformation, right, so that you don't trust what you see, showing things out of context, that kind of stuff. Right. So... We might want to get off our soapbox for a little bit to do um, <laughs> to do the alignment. I know um, to do uh, the other things. Oh, I forgot the other. Uh, the, so uh, let's start with the alignment. I got to find our our thing for. I wanted to try this new segment, uh, so we'll do that in a minute. Um, okay. So uh, where, do, where do you think he falls? Uh, well, he sounds pretty vicious. I would argue neutral to chaotic evil. I think he's an interesting combo of all three, isn't he? Because I mean, he is the law. Um, I know. I guess you're right. It's just that when they make their own law, it's always interesting. But you're right. I guess you have to put that in there. So he's lawful in the sense that he makes the laws, neutral in the sense that he seems to be, you know, out for his own self-interest and chaotic in the sense that he's needlessly sadistic. Mm-hmm. He, you know, uh, the severed head room. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Um, what The problem, again, I had researching was you sort of got all these different sides of him. I never could really tell is this... You know, is this because he's a sociopath and just wants power for himself? Is it that he, you know, in, he enjoys inflicting pain? Is that he, you know, he actually believes he's trying to help the people of Uganda in some twisted way? I, I think these are know. people with something missing. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think they're not operating with all of the components of a human soul. I know that's a big leap because I've not studied the psychopath mind, but it just seems like, I mean, based on what I'm seeing right now, it's sort of self-perpetuating. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you never retire. That's always weird, right? These guys never just go like, I'm done. I'm just going to like chill. And that tells you something about it. It's sort of like this cycle that just never gets interrupted. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to try our, uh, our a new segment because we had so much fun looking at all of Cobra Commander's schemes, and they're so ridiculous. I wanted to see how you how these you, how you think these schemes would fare if we slot in put Idi Amin in charge instead of Cobra Commander. Put this our, is a segment we call "What Would Edie Do?" <laughs> well, it's a WWID. I was just gonna say, yeah, this is uh, our uh, you know knowing is half the battle <laughs> kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so I'll just pick one at random here. This is um, episode six 
entitled The Revenge of Cobra, Part 1, In the Cobra's Pit, from September 10th, 1984. Cobra attacks a G.I. Joe convoy and steals a high-powered experimental laser. During the battle to protect the laser, both Duke and Snake Eyes are captured by Cobra agents. Once back at Cobra's base, Destro uses the laser to complete his latest weapon, the Weather Dominator. When Flint and the other Joes launch an air assault and rescue mission, Destro uses the device in its stormy skies ahead for the Joe team. So, Edie Amin with a weather changing machine. How would Edie Amin use a weather changing machine? I guess so. That's I the think question. He would, he would create hail uh, that was sharp and would just slice off dicks. <laughs> We have our winner. Just sheets of sheets of ice that came down and just could slice off all the dicks. And now you know. <laughs> Knowing is half the battle. All right. Uh, so I just think that's going to be fun just to revisit that list of nonsense. Um, <laughs> this is Doug's theory that the Cobra Commander plots could be, we could hand them to any villain and see what they would do. Yeah. But my answer, I've already decided that all my answers will involve dicks being cut off. <laughs> It's as fair an answer as any. Um, <laughs> all right. And that just leaves uh, fan casting. Oh, no. We got to do fan casting oh, and the well, title Oh, well, already fight. been played. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. You can't pick Forrest Whitaker again. I, I have my thoughts on who it would be. I, uh, I, I want Forrest Whitaker to return to the role. Like Last King of Scotland 2. Yeah. T-O-O. Uh, uh, Edie McClure. He hands the title to a new generation of Ugandan yes. dictator. The new class. The new class. Yeah. Last King of Scotland. <laughs> the new class. Uh, so I won't circle back to my Edie McClurg joke because that's not worth it. But the uh, the person I did think of, um, oddly enough, who is having quite a moment in the spotlight is uh, John Boyega. Oh, okay. He's a little young, isn't he? He is young, but uh, hear me out. I, I And obviously, I don't know that he has the same you know physical presence, but that can be achieved with... Some camera tricks and stuff. But he is, I think he's an excellent actor. And for those who don't know, he plays Finn in Star Wars 789. But in that role, he is sort of effortlessly charming. And I think to, and I think this is what worked for Forrest Whitaker as well. Like to make a portrayal of Edie Amin work, you have to get that kind of outer layer right. You've got to make him you know, at first seem very charming and personable. And then under that, you have the real Edie Amin. And I feel like right. he's a talented enough actor to, to do both of those things. Mm. Okay. So Don't that was my it. pick. All right. I like him. I'm going to go with the the friendliness and the disarming quality and the cuddliness. And I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm adding cuddly. The bubbliciousness. Yes. And uh, I'm going to go with Ron Funches. Do you know who he is? Ah, uh, I know the name. Why can't he's I a com- he's a largely a comedic actor. He's the voice of uh, King Shark on Harley Quinn. Okay. Um, if you know Ron Funches, you know that this is a joke answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's just a very he's just a very friendly guy. Oh, he's okay. just like the last person you would expect to have a uh, a jar of severed heads. Well, that but, that could work though. Several sometimes. jars of. I guess you put the heads in different jars. It wouldn't just be one big jar of heads. I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I figure you Ron store them like I'm thinking like Futurama. Like you've got just you know heads in like domes. Yeah, with labels on them. Yeah. Um. So that's and then now finally we have to decide who would win Edi Amin versus Cobra Commander, and I think this is a this is a walk for for Edi Amin. Well, right again, Cobra Commander always loses. He is coded to lose. That's true. Yeah, he never wins. But I also think Edi Amin is a you know. No, not my dick. No. Dick of my dicks. Oh God! <laughs> that's how he, that's actually a, an origin story for Cobra Commander. That's right. He's, he's got a chrome him. plate down there as well to hide <laughs> <laughs> the missing My dicks. Dick. Uh, so I've mentioned that about seven times. I can't get over it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it's interesting because I feel like Uganda is the kind of place that Cobra might like try to establish a base. Oh, totally. Because there's a lot of jungle, and they they love their jungle. Yeah. So bases. they're just like, yeah, we'll have one of our jungle bases down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he runs afoul of, of Edie Amin at that point. And uh, yeah, it's an actual army versus a bunch of Dorcos and cosplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like they would try to like join forces and then eventually, you know, one would du- Cobra Commander tries to double cross Amin and then Amin says, I'm fucking done with you and just has him yeah. murdered. Um, and put in a mass grave. Like that's the timeline doesn't really work because, of course, this is like even like the '80s after uh, the end of his reign. But um, whenever we talk about these Cobra Commander matchups, I just think of like what an odd guest star that was. 
<laughs> when they got Idi Amin to be on G.I. Joe. Yeah. Similarly, when David Bowie was on it. What a weird, mm-hmm. weird episode that was. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're giving it to Edie. Yeah. And so I think that kind of wraps it up for Edie. I mean, any um, final thoughts before we kind of do our admin and talk about next Just week? that when you listen to the song Edie by The Cult, just pretend it's about this guy. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so next week, uh, we're doing Shakespeare's Iago, a very different kind of villain, more of a behind the scenes. Not to be confused with the Gilbert Gottfried voiced parrot from Aladdin. Correct. Uh, but don't worry, you'll be hearing that voice next week, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we also may have a special guest next week, which is uh, awesome. I'm, I'm hoping we can make that happen. But yes, we'll be doing, we'll, we're gonna, we wanted to do a classic villain, and there's nobody more classic than the Bard. So we'll, we're going to do Iago next week. Uh, we got more fun stuff coming down the pike. Uh, you know what that. they say, Doug, sometimes you eat the Bard, sometimes the Bard eats you. Good old Sam Elliott. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, uh, last minute uh, admin stuff. Uh, if you like what we do, um, again, drop us a review on iTunes and we really want to hear from you. So send us uh, your feedback, your thoughts on this episode, anything else you've covered. We really just, whatever you want to say, we want to hear it, but send it to us on Twitter at podcast, but evil. That is where you can find us on the internets. Anything else uh, before we say goodbye? No, I think we've completed this task. I believe yes, we can we can call this task mastered. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while. Yeah, <laughs> myth busted. busted. <laughs> All right. All right. So then, uh, finally, uh, until next time, gentlemen, to evil. Clink, clink.